This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. I learned to love Lebanon uh, since my childhood. And since uh, I was a child, I had a chance to be in, uh, in, in a large diversity of schools in Lycée Francais, in the Saint Famille in Banda, in Frère Salle, in Saint Car Hadad, four schools. And the reasons I changed schools at that time is was because they don't accept boys beyond a certain class. <laughs> so I had the opportunity to meet a lot of people, not only from my village, Babda, where, mm. where, yes. which I, I love deeply, mm. but uh, to know that, to, to, to understand and to learn that Lebanon is not Babda. Mm. And... Uh, uh, this uh, raised a lot of curiosity uh, deep inside me in order to know better uh, a lot of people, mm. especially in the Lycée Francais, where for the first time I met people from Beirut from, uh, because I was a mountain guy. Right. So, uh, so uh, um, for me, uh, the first two years in Lycée, I spent there six years. The first two years were learning, lear- learning years. And then they were interactive years. Mm. The, the, the next four years were interactive years where I learned how to get down, to go down to Beirut by myself uh, right. for uh, half a Lebanese pound. Wow. And the money my father gave me at that time per week, I was sparing half Lebanese pound in order to get back to Babda. And, wow. uh, uh, and <laughs> no Beirut by walking because we need to pay 25 piastres, any point. 24, 25 uh, Lebanese pound to get from downtown to, to Hamra, where the center of, of the Lebanese culture was. Yeah. So I learned to love all this. And I was deeply sorrow when the war broke in 1975. I participated in that war. I was convinced that what I was doing, I was not in the army at that mm, time. Mm. I, was, I was in the militias. But after three years, I decided that this is not my place. I have to go somewhere where I, I deal with everybody, with the people who, whom I knew, because once I learned, I knew that one of my schoolmates was uh, in face, in, in, in the other side, and we were shooting right. yes. on each other. So for me, it was really, um, I was sad, you know. So uh, this is why I decided to join the army, because I was convinced that this is the only place where, where I can serve Lebanon, uh, because Lebanon needed security, needed defense. Uh, I don't believe in speeches and in, uh, in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in bavardage, like we say in French. So uh, I believe in action. So this is why I joined the army. I love the army more and more, especially that I saw uh, soldiers dying uh, uh, and f- falling beside me, and uh, soldiers who came from Akkar, who came from Tripoli, from areas where, from where they were not obliged to come to Baabda and to the Ministry of Defense in order to defend the very small surface where uh, legal Lebanon was. I see. So they, uh, so, and when I served in North Lebanon, and this is the place where I where I, really a deep change inside me uh, occurred in the same direction I was raised on. So uh, in every village in Akkar, you have an army martyr in, in, in a grave somewhere. Yes. And most of them were Sunnis. And you see, and they were defending a Christian area. And this is a lesson I give to everyone I see, mm. because people living in different areas don't know each other very well. 
And the thing, the, 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 let's say, the, the breaking, not breaking, but the highest emotional moment was uh, at the end of the Battle of Nahr al-Barid in 2007, yes. where we lost 168 soldiers, 86 of them were Sunnis. And they were fighting against a terrorist organization. They didn't hesitate. They didn't desert. Not one single deserter we had in Nahr al-Barid. So this is a lesson I give to every Lebanese, especially my Christian mates in the mountain. They don't know the north. When you talk about Tripoli, they uh, they imagine that it is Kandahar. It's not at all Kandahar. Tripoli is a city of 500,000 people, very nice people, and I love lovely people. Till now, if you see my phone every day, I have someone who rings to me from 06, from North <laughs> Lebanon, in order to say hello or to ask for... You know, that's one way to test if you know Tripoli, 06. <laughs> I think that's a nice way to figure out if somebody really knows. You said it very easily, and I think there's something very uh, endearing about the way you speak. Because you said already you don't believe in this sort of endless talks and yes. pointless speeches. Your own uh, media, let's say your private account on Facebook, uh, I appreciate you're very clear and concise on what you're trying to do. And I think this comes from a maybe from the army in itself. There's this built-in discipline that doesn't really exist in other institutions in Lebanon. But I appreciate something else you said. You're the first person I know who joined the Lebanese army during the civil war. Exactly, 1984. 1984. I know many Lebanese former soldiers that deserted and joined the militia that were competing against each other. And I also appreciate your honesty in saying you joined a militia first before joining the Lebanese yes. army. So in a way, you went against gravity. And I appreciate that. You joined in 1984 during a very difficult chapter in Lebanese history, probably the most difficult chapter exactly. in Lebanese sovereignty. And there you are serving the state. From that kind of very structured, very clear career to jumping into this very, very muddy, difficult political journey that you're on right now. May I ask what actually pushed you to want to enter parliament? Because I know the superficial, that you were one of many generals that were on the protest scene. Um, I think that's a very symbolic story, but I'm trying to understand what would take you right now to the very local, very um, messy parliamentary journey that you're yes, on. Yes. Is, is there a moment for you that you said, the army is now behind me, I will now go into politics? Lebanon of our dreams is not a reality now. So uh, Lebanon, we learned in school, and I learned by my, with my day-to-day -day life, as I told you now, mm. uh, has not been achieved yet. So it is a struggle. It's a permanent struggle. If mm. I was uh, 20 years younger, I would stay in the army. But now, uh, now I have to continue the struggle from somewhere. If I continue it by myself, okay, maybe I will be heard by a certain number of people, people who read, people who hear. Mm. But if I succeed in being in the parliament, it's not only a matter of issuing laws or... Uh, controlling the government work or uh, questioning the government or so on, which is, by the Constitution, the mission of an MP. But it is a struggle also because mm. Lebanon is in danger. Lebanon uh, that has been founded by our founding fathers in 1920, that is a continuity of the Lebanon that has been formed through the years since the 16th century. It's a very long story. Lebanon is a lovely country. It's crowded with history. And unfortunately, the Lebanese are totally ignorant about this history. I'm talking about the medium Lebanese. Mm. We are more crowded in history than the United States, for example. <laughs> uh, more crowded and more complex and more complicated and more lovely. You, uh, you know, so, <laughs> so this Lebanon has not been achieved yet. So we have to continue our struggle in order to reach at least a 
let's say, a roadmap or uh, the first stones, the first milestones in the roadmap, or the second or third, because we are not the Alpha and Omega. Uh, <laughs> uh, some people died for Lebanon, yeah. and uh, your honorable father is one of them. So uh, we have to continue the struggle for their memory, f for being loyal to them, because they believed in this country, and we still believe in what they believed, so we have to continue our way. And uh, we have to continue it not only with emotions like now, but also with rational uh, work uh, uh, through laws, through positioning ourselves toward our uh, uh, citizens and toward the international community because we are not alone in this, uh, on this earth. So, so yeah. we have to interact with them. So we have to show them the real, the true, nice face of Lebanon, a rational face of Lebanon. There's a lot of what you say that resonates deeply with me. And even being so blunt to say the diversity and the richness of Lebanon exceeds the U.S. And I believe that, too. Mm -hmm. And I believe that our history is layered. It's quite beautiful and tragic at the same time. But the beauty is real. You've also pointed at a few things, and they're very important. You see a sectarian system, but you see other sects fighting for the state as opposed to their own sect. And I yes. really appreciate that analogy in Tripoli, in the north. Sunni fighters dying, not for Sunni cause or no, whatever, exactly. the state. Um, you also very nicely put back your own... You dated yourself in a very eloquent way. You know what Irish means, riba lira, mm. to go... I mean, there's things that you don't even think about anymore, mm. that you see a Lebanon that is older, perhaps, and that just comes with age. You know a Lebanon that I'll never know, the pre-Civil War experience. Yeah. You also know something which I think is not discussed enough, and I'd like to explore this terrain with you before we get into Ba'abda and the current election. Yeah. You must have been, I'm, I'm going to guess now, maybe 17 years old when the Civil War started, or 18, around I was, then. I was exactly 19 years old. 19 years old. So the Civil War begins, <clears throat> and you're still technically a teenager, but you're old enough to maybe appreciate what's happening. You're in a very, very important institution nine years later or so, but it's not the Lebanon that you grew up in. It's a different Lebanon. Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm going to try to ask you this in a, in a diplomatic way to see really what you, what you see in this tragedy. I always make the case that Lebanon lost something in the early 1970s, and it must reclaim it to function once more. Not to function this way, not this very inefficient way of governing. I mean, real functioning institutions. And that's sovereignty. But I think the word sometimes is not understood well enough in Lebanon. And in my mind, one of the reasons somebody in your shoes would join a militia during the Lebanese Civil War is not because that is your natural destination. That's because the state no longer served its citizens. And the doors were open to issues that are not Lebanese. And that could be Fatah in Lebanon. That could be the Syrian army in Lebanon. That can be the Israeli army in Lebanon. That could even be Hezbollah as it currently exists today in Lebanon. Yes. But that disappeared in the early 1970s. And I attribute that to what is impossible to do right now, which is move forward rather than move sideways or backwards. So does any of this resonate with you and how you see structural problems in Lebanon and how you see good governance? Is any of that how you sort of experienced your career in Lebanon or am I missing the story? No, you are not missing the story. because We, we were given a gift that was a state with institutions that were pro working properly. Mm. And we did not have time since the independence, since 1943, yes. till 1958, first milestone, and then 1975, second milestone. We didn't have enough time to build real confidence between the different communities mm. uh, in Lebanon. And mm. let me give here a remark uh, from my uh, perspective. Um, sectarianism today uh, is a very bad, it's, it's a very negative term. Yes. <laughs> but sectarianism is a natural um, 
let's say, a natural fact in Lebanon because all these different communities that came to Lebanon mm. uh, uh, at, at, at a certain time in history, mm. Maron, uh, Orthodox, then Maronites, then uh, Druze, Sunnis, etc., they came for one reason, because they were looking for liberty. Mm. They were looking for something they didn't have somewhere else. And they were isolated in their mountains. Mm. And in, a mount- in mountains, you know, you have your water, you have your small garden. You don't even need to interact with your neighboring village. <laughs> they, they were isolated, yeah. even though they were living in a very small geographical area. And their leadership, and I understood this after a long reading. Mm. And mm. So their, their leadership were, in the same time, their clergy whoever they are. So they were raised on that belonging, and they didn't have any other belonging because this area of the world, this part of the world, was always governed by empires. Mm. We had the Egyptian empire, then the Assyrian, then the Babylonian, then the Persian, then the Greek one, then the the Roman. Uh, And the Phoenicians, uh, previous to that, for 400 years, they had peace because all the empires surrounding them were fighting each other and had infighting. And even the Phoenicians were not one country. They had one king for Sidon, another one for Tyre, another one for uh, Byblos. Uh, Tripoli was a contour of three mm. cities. So you have Phoenician kings, mm. and these cities were against each other. And at that time, they had the same gods <laughs> and the same language, the same habits. <laughs> yeah the same customs, everything was the same. Mm. It was not a Muslim or Masihi, Muslim and uh, 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 Sunni and Shia and so on. They were Phoenicians, (laughs) full stop. So this geography imposes to you, you you live in isolated places. So so the first time we really reached something called independence, since the Phoenicians, because people are sometimes excessively romantic at the time of the Phoenicians. Phoenicians were never a true nation, a true country. But the first time we got this what was at the um, mid-19th century in a part of Lebanon. Even Mount Lebanon, you have, you have a false idea within the Christian mind that Mount Lebanon was for the Christians. This was not true because mm. the Majlis al-Idara was composed of half Muslims, yeah. half, half Sunni, Shia, etc., etc. Mm. And then uh, it was projected all over Lebanon. And when we got a state with the proper institutions, executive power, legislative power, mm, etc. Mm. We didn't have time to reach our political maturity, and we didn't interact enough because you need time to build a common history. Mm. And now we are building it, unfortunately, with blood. But you, you know, see, you, there's something you said already which I, I respected because it's hard to be in the opposition today. Yes. It's actually, I think, very difficult to be in the opposition and also admit that sectarianism is not always a bad thing. It's a supermarket. You can pick and choose what you want depending on the day. And actually, I think it's more descriptive than emotional. So I I agree with that assessment. I think it's difficult to say that in opposition circles. But with that, I'm curious if you think having armed groups that can compete away from state oversight, Mm -hmm. do you think of that as something that has defined the problems that have emerged since the 1970s? Or is that too simplistic? In other words, I'm going to just take a wild guess. I could be wrong. You were fighting with Kata'ib in the early 1970s, mid-1970s. Okay. For me, the story about Kata'ib is a political party that became a militia, that became a political party again. Mm -hmm. And I think that trajectory is on most political parties, whether it's Harakat Amal, whether it's Ishtiraki, whether it's whatever you want. The whole plate of parties that became militia, mm-hmm. that became parties once more. And there are a few exceptions that did not do that. But I think of today as a burden on reform coming from that one group that did not join the club of disarmament. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to understand whether or not you see that as something fundamental to why we are inefficient and at times paralyzed. 
No, I don't think we are inefficient because of sectarianism at okay. all. Because yeah. we lived together uh, uh, golden golden years mm. Mm. Uh, with sectarianism. Mm. I, I'm not saying that uh, it was ideal. I, there there were a lot of negative negative issues mm. going on. I, I was talking about political maturity. Mm-hmm. I am drastically against militias because yeah. I served in the militias for three years. And I served in the army for 28 years. Right. You have very good people there, and you have very good people there. Mm. The guys who carried guns were uh, playing uh, drums uh, at the eve of the war. I'm, I'm not. I'm serious. Yeah. The same guys who were playing guitar and bass guitar, <laughs> yeah. and we were in a dancing. And the second day we were carrying weapons. The only thing we knew how to shoot only, right. and, but not how to fight. Yeah. So this is why a lot of people died from both sides. And a lot of guys, I'm not talking about Qatar only, I'm talking about a lot of guys fighting here and there. A lot of them were in a mind that, of course, we are sectarians, but we are fighting for a national cause, not for yes, right. our uh, uh, community only, yeah. or yeah. not with to, to our community. And I can assure you this, but all this has been masked because no one wrote, wrote the real stories, the small stories of the world. Now, let's get back to now, because we don't want to be in the past. We have to build a state. We have to rebuild a state. Do you think, though, and I'm, I'm sorry to make it very precise here, do you think that the fact, because there is still one big sub-state group involved, do you think that places a burden on reform the way you of want course. to see it. Of course. Okay, so there is, um, I think sometimes it's not articulated enough among opposition circles that that is exactly why it's hard to reform. That there's a group that still applies by the early 1970s mm-hmm. rather than 2022. Mm-hmm. So, am I, do you think of that as part of your challenge to try to end what tore Lebanon apart? Yes, we have, we have to restore the sovereignty of the state. Mm. There is no state without sovereignty. Let me be clear and very simple. Sovereignty is composed of four pillars. The first one is the monopole of the use of force with the Lebanese armed forces, legal armed forces, mm. Mm. because these armed forces are or are um, relevant or are following orders or instructions of the government that is formed and that takes their decisions collectively. Mm -hmm. Usually a government should not be composed of people who are competing, but of people who are cohesive together and who who are... uh, La, la, la solid, 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 a minimum of solidarity yes. yeah, yeah. among because when you form a government it should be like this mm-hmm. it's a teamwork that should draw the general policy of the state yeah. so the first element is the monopole of the use of force the second is the monopole of the foreign policy Yes. we don't have this there is a foreign policy in the hands of the militia of mm-hmm. Hezbollah yeah the third monopole is the tax and uh, tax and um, uh, uh, so the, 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 the collection of taxes mm, mm. should be monopolized by the state. Yes. Hezbollah is collecting taxes on our borders, our eastern borders, even in our legal yeah. ports and airports. I appreciate you're using the word tax. So these, these <laughs> yeah. are three pillars. The fourth yeah. pillar I already talked about yes. is the general policy of the state. It should be drawn within the government. And and the government and the president should be uh, should stick together for that. Yes. And our president falsely is believed to be an executive power. Our president is not an executive power. Mm-hmm. He is a head of state. We are a parliamentary regime. The head of state is resp- is be- is above the government. Is above everything. He should be the symbol of cohesion of the state. Yes. Not the strongest Christian or the strongest Sunni should come here because we are a, a country of, um, let's say, at least for that for, for that uh, period of time, we need a lot of compromise. We don't, we don't need compromising, but we need at least compromise in order to reach this sovereignty. And this is the zero, this is the ground zero, if you want. And then we can talk about reforms, yeah. abolishing sectarianism. Uh, to abolish sectarianism, we need education. We need to educate people. We need to educate at least three generations. And then sectarianism will disappear by itself. 
you outlined very eloquently what is missing. And you're running in Babda right now. I'm going to try to merge that huge burden with very local issues. Do you see your, your role in parliament, should you win, as trying to pressure current parties that are better established at implementing those four steps? Do you see your role as almost legislative, that you're trying to reclaim the state within laws or within reform from within parliament? Or is it something that you're able to take on your own? Because I'm trying to think of what one voice in parliament that's very eloquent at addressing this could actually do in parliament when you have the majority of MPs that don't think of this as critical the way you do. They think of it as almost, I wouldn't say it's secondary, but I don't think they actually have policies in mind the way you're describing them. So yeah. how do you see that journey through Parliament? Before we get into yes. Baabda itself, what could you do in Parliament to make that a reality? First, I have to hope to have uh, at least a certain group of MPs uh, that are um, having the same vision as me, mm. first mm. of all. Or at least share with me the uh, majority of this vision. Mm. And uh, as you said, I have to lobby them in order to realize all these steps. This is my mission. Yes. Not other things. L lobbying. Yes. Yep. Lobbying them in order to issue the, the necessary laws and to convince, because we don't want a civil war with Hezbollah. It is very, uh, it, it will be, uh, it will be very hard. We know how it starts. We never know how, how it finished. And we don't want any more civil wars mm. because enough is enough. It's time to tell Hezbollah with the help of our international friends and Arab friends that you are claiming that you are carrying your weapons in order to, uh, to have a balance of terror with Israel. Okay. My question for Hezbollah will be, how many tanks do you have? The answer will be zero. How many planes do you have? The answer will be zero. So how are you matching Israel? My answer will be how many anti-aircraft missiles you have. The answer will be zero because yeah. the Israeli Air Force is, uh, is uh, using our airspace and the Syrian airspace very freely. So you are using only an underground tactics, underground tactics, and uh, you have a network, an underground network that you use that is concealed to Israeli observation. So this is your advantage. But mm. when there is a ground operation with Israel, you have to get out of these, of these uh, yeah. uh, foxholes or, or this network, and you will be equal to them because they, don't, they can't use the, the Air Force anymore. Mm. Is it uh, really, does it need Einstein to understand <laughs> that this is what we have to do as a Lebanese army, and we are supported by all the population? So you are claiming that you can dissuade Israel with your missiles. Your missiles are now... Outdated. But is it lobbying Hezbollah through no, parliament? No, I'm or? lobbying. First of all, you have to be convinced mm, mm. to convince. Yeah. You see, this is a marketing, uh, <laughs> uh, a marketing, uh, let's say, skill. It's, yeah. So I have to convince my mates that yeah. they claim that they are stronger than the army. I can give you numbers that the army is stronger than them. I'll but the army can use yeah. better tactics than they do in order to dissuade Israel. So what is your argument now? Mm, mm. So this is your only argument you are giving. I'll take permission in trying to challenge yes. an esteemed general yes, who knows much more than I do. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And I'd like this to be almost an exercise. You said it in a way without these words, but you said it, I think, in a, an important way that politicians or even MPs or ministers or whatever, they have tried to do the right thing before. I think you used the term omega and the like. That Alpha omega. Alpha yes. omega. And I think a lot of decent Lebanese hit a very high wall that is not Lebanon's fault. And I'll, I'll just try to offer an example. 2005 and 2009 yes. are recent elections. This is not that far back. We had majorities in parliament yes. that I think their whole intention was to reclaim independence. 
and that experiment through Parliament did not fail because these MPs were failures. It failed through violence. And violence comes in different ways. It could be assassination, which was happening regularly. It could also be 2008, in May of 2008, where Hamra became a battlefield very quickly. It can also be more recent. October last year, Tayune, a judge who's been paralyzed from his work since, violence was the tool used to derail the functionality of the state. And I think in parliament, it's the same thing. What would be different this time around? Especially since not just the numbers will probably be much smaller, but that I don't think Hezbollah has decreased in its capabilities. I think it has actually become more entrenched in the system than 16, 17 years ago. So how, how would MPs be able to circumvent that threat of violence? Yes. yes. How would that work? We put that under the chapter of militancy and militant MPs. You know, uh, saying that the experience of 2005, 2008, seven, the mm-hmm. 7th of May, and then all, all, all what happened since then. And I would include perhaps the July War, 2006, yes. as a consequence of that. And I don't know if I'm over-speaking here, but yeah. even the kind of threat that could emerge in the north from Fatah Islam, and suddenly the army is in a battle that may not be Lebanon's fight. Yes. But these are problems that are not Lebanon's per se. No, no, yes. Yeah. It's, it's interference. And, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. But I don't want to simplify things. Sure, sure. What, what, uh, what I need to say here is the following. We have two options. I don't want to repeat what you said, mm-hmm. neither repeat myself. We are or doing nothing, saying that, okay, we tried in 2005, mm. we tried in 2009, we were a majority, the result was catastrophic, mm-hmm. and the Hezbollah and their allies are progressing right. and are gaining more and more ground. Yes. So, two options. Either you do something, either doing nothing. <laughs> so, doing nothing is not an option. So, we have to do something. Uh, we have two options here also. The violent one, going to civil war, uh, I think that this is a very bad option mm. because all wars begin uh, in a very rational way and then 15 minutes later, you don't control anything yeah. anymore. And yeah. it becomes an interaction and it becomes an endless war. Mm. It doesn't stop and we have the experience, 1975, 1990. Yes. Okay. With different belligerents and so on. Yes. So going to war against Hezbollah is not, not an option. Mm. What, what is the option that remains? You have the peaceful option. First mm. of all, we have to preserve our institutions. Mm. These institutions have been founded 100 years ago. They want to destroy these institutions. They are um, pushing for uh, creating a culture that this constitution is bad. Mm. Mm. We have to change it. We, have, we need, we need a, 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 new, a new constitutional assembly in order to start from zero because the balance of power that was prevailing in, in 1926 is not the same now. This is what they say That's true. Yeah. Uh, off the camera when we are in studios. So we have to tell them this constitution is not the problem. Mm. The problem is not the balance of power. Mm. The problem is the lack of sovereignty. Yeah. Now, what do we have? They gained by a de facto, uh, de facto uh, issues. It, yeah. I mean weapons. I mean positioning. Mm-hmm. I mean backing by Iran. I mean backing by Russia from uh, every now and then, and so on. Yeah. Okay. What do they need to complete all this? They need to legalize all this, mm-hmm. either by constitution or turning their militia into illegal militias like in Iraq. In right, Iraq, you right. have the Hashd al-Shaabi yes. that are financed by Iran, trained yes. by Iran, yeah. oper- uh, getting their operations under Iranian uh, orders, yes. but they are paid by the Interior Ministry of Iraq. They are financed by the Interior Ministry of Iraq. Why? because they are defending Iraq against Daesh and so on. Mm. So if we continue this way, we will reach this point yeah. uh, at a certain moment, yeah. and the face of Lebanon will change. So mm. we have to preserve our institutions. 
to say no for any constitutional change under the threat of weapons. And this we can do it, even if we don't have, uh, we have guns. We have also uh, to, to, lobby for, uh, to lobby our friends in the world. We are not alone. Khalil, thank uh, Khalil, you Khalil, so Khalil, much. Khalil. Thank you. No, no, I'm, I'm going to let you continue. You're the first guest in this podcast. Electricity <laughs> goes out. It, it'll still record. You're the first guest in this podcast who has suggested something like this. I wait to hear this, and I'm so thrilled. I'm sorry to be a bit happy. I no, shouldn't be this happy. <laughs> but you're the first guest who has taken the narrative to where it should go. You need a diplomatic solution to this mess. Yes. And it starts outside. There's a regional understanding that's wrong. It has to be right. I really appreciate this. Yes. I'll let you keep yeah, going. I, I, I need to tell you more. <laughs> we have weapons for this. We have the Constitution. It yeah. is there. No one will recognize anything outside this constitution. We have our laws and bylaws, and also we have three uh, United Nations Security Council yes, resolutions, absolutely. 1559, 1680, and 1701. Yeah. So these are weapons. Yes. And uh, th th this is the weapon of positioning. This is my position. You cannot take it out of me, even if you have guns and whatever you want. You will never become legal if I don't accept it, even if I am weak. And more than this, when the uh, Arab powers, they tell you, what, what did you do? I gave you money, you did nothing. They are right. But when I tell them, we need to keep a balance of power, mm. either through the army or through the state institutions, it is wrong to get away or to say, oh, you Lebanese, you, you, you don't know how to, uh, to manage your country, so with our turn, turning our back, so this is, this, this is very bad. I'm going to say one more thing. Every party in this country has slogans on the highway. Every political party is now talking about sovereignty. I've had guests on the podcast when I asked them what the policy would look like. There's a, almost a blank. Uh, there's, there's not, they're not able to articulate what is necessary, and you did it without even me asking. So I really respect that you've done a lot of hard work and you know exactly what's wrong. And you've even offered a way to address it. I haven't heard one MP candidate so far even referencing 1559 or 1701 or any resolution as part of the story. So I appreciate that. I'm going to challenge you on one point only to fully understand everything that's happening. I don't think the threat of a civil war is there. And the reason I'm saying something which is outlandish maybe, is because I don't think the current situation Hezbollah established in Lebanon would allow for a civil war to take place. And I think the threats against Hezbollah are dealt with in different ways, whether it's directly by that group or in other ways too. But I think the posturing that Hezbollah created ensures that there's no militia-like competition to that group. And I sense from what you're saying is you don't think that's true, that there could be a threat emerging against Hezbollah within Lebanon. So could you maybe offer whatever you think is the real threat against Hezbollah in terms of a civil war? Because I don't see that happening. And I think actually, I, I think this, the threat of civil war, because it's not there, we're in paralysis rather than civil war. Yes. Um, I was talking about the options, the rational options. Yes, How yeah. do you oppose? Mm. Either by force or mm -hmm. peacefully. I yes. said we eliminate this, right. this option. Yeah. I didn't say we are on the brink of civil war or okay. we have a threat of civil war. Okay. But the ingredients are there. Mm. I, wh mm. What I want to tell you, in 1975, what happened really, uh, 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 my, my experience with the militia, yes. the militia, the, the, the highest heavy weapon they, ha they had was a small mortar like this. Right. It is when the army broke, when they captured yes. the, yeah. the heavy material of the heavy equipment of the army, then the real war started. Yeah. So the ingredients are there. And thanks to our army that is cohesive, cohesive that is following orders despite the dramatic situation uh, economically for the soldiers, yes. they are still coming to work, they are still 
undergoing uh, missions, patrols, and everything. And yes. all you have to see is the security situation that is, is not deteriorating because you have motivated people who are still working yeah. and who are still coming there. So this is important to say. Uh, I was in the U.S. past uh, past uh, week, hmm. and there were a lot of arguments against army and against what are we giving to Lebanon. I told them, give me one single terrorist operation that was ignited by Lebanon or started in Lebanon since 2015 till now, seven years. Mm, mm, so mm. what does it mean? Mm. It means that we are efficient. Okay, we are not efficient against Hezbollah, yes, but you are not efficient against Iran also. So you cannot blame us. Uh, okay, I'm going to steal this from you and start using it. That's a great sentence right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so. that's well said. Did you really say this in these conversations? In the yes, US? yes, of course. Of Can course. I, may I ask you? He, he, he was a U.S. Army officer yeah. of Lebanese origin who served in the 82nd Airborne Regiment that is the best trained regiment in the world. Oh, is it? Is and it he said, oh, Lebanese Army is uh, uh, doesn't fight in battalion. They fight in small units only. Mm-hmm. And the soldiers, they don't come to work. They go work. Uh, they, they have a second work. I told him it has been legalized because their salary is not enough. We have yeah. two choices: either desertion, or you allow them in their uh, in, in, in outside their work. I like that Lebanese are debating in yeah. America over American yeah. policies. <laughs> and and then yeah. and then I told him we won the battle of Darnia in 2000 with yeah. this army. We won the battle of Nahr al Barid in 2007. We won the battle of Fajr al Jarud in 2000, uh, 2017. And I know that there is a certain Yani uh, Atab uh, from from Sunnis against the army about what happened in Tripoli or Sidon. I know that, and we uh, and at that time we worked hard in order to keep the cohesion of the army, and it, it was not as difficult as we imagined. Right. And the parents of the soldiers were really nice people who understood and said, told their children, you stay in this institution, yeah. you don't have any other option. So it, 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 Lebanon is a, a, a land of miracles. They don't believe this, but but we lived all this. So, so I, okay, so I, you've, you've outlined, I think... Somebody like me who's quite stubborn and trying to <laughs> emphasize that, that this is a priority, you've done it without even me asking. So I really respect you for going down that road naturally. Um, and I also appreciate that you're fighting a huge, huge battle. It's not just trying to make the case. And you're doing this on your own. You're going to the States and coming back, delivering the right message. And I think even in Parliament, what you're trying to do is a very difficult journey anyway. But the fact is, you're doing it. And I like your options. I would go with the option you're going with. In terms of trying to compete for, I don't, I don't want to use the word popularity, but at the end of the day, this is a very contested uh, region, district. And there's a lot of familiar names running. And at the same time, there are brand new names. And I would include you as one of those new names, even though you've been around in politics. You've been in the army. You've been outside the army. But you're a fresh, you're a fresh name, let's say, to the landscape. I have heard from different sort of different. I've heard in different ways that there's no tolerance for two things. One, anyone pre-October 17. So... It's a blanket statement. Whoever served in the state, whoever was affiliated with the state, not not included. The second one, which I've heard in different ways, and I think it applies to you, they don't want an army figure as part of this movement. And I think that comes from disappointment with the current president and previous presidents that have been, for the majority, if not our recent history, have all been army generals and have served in the army. I think it's been like this since at least the early 1990s. So could you offer a way to persuade an audience that is reluctant to actually choose you over a more familiar name, which could be somebody like Alain Aoun running in the free patriotic movement for the same seat, or for that matter, somebody who's not in politics, who's only recently joined, Michel Halou, who's mm-hmm. in Kitli al-Watani. And mm-hmm. I, I'm lucky I consider him, actually, he's a friend of he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a friend of mine. And somebody in your situation who has that broader perspective, but maybe has that sort of, there's a bit of a prejudice, maybe, 
and it's not necessarily fair, but it, but it's there. So how could you persuade someone to you over someone else who's either a family household name or somebody like Michelle Halou, who's brand okay. new? Let me, first of all, clarify my position regarding the generals who became presidents. Yes. The only one who I really appreciate a lot is General Shahab because he came from a noble family. I, this is not the exact term. I don't find better one. He was prepared for state affairs because yes. of his culture and his family, Ahbesh, Shahab, etc. And the name of Shahab is part of the history of Lebanon. So he was prepared. And yes. his personality persuaded all the surrounding countries that he is the right guy and he was the right guy. Yeah. He has the merit of uh, pushing the institutions of the state uh, high and building new ones, and we are still getting profit of these institutions that yes. he built yeah. with the help of French experts because he, was, uh, he, he got his training in France and so on. Now, for the other three, yeah. <laughs> there is one yes. who I appreciate not as much as Shehab, but I appreciate him also. Elias General Suleiman. Oh, Suleiman. Ah, yes. Okay. Because the presidency came to him, he didn't run to the presidency. Mm. Because the March 14 people wanted at that time Nasib Lahoud, yes. and the other guys wanted Michel Aoun. Yes. So it, it was impossible to uh, to impose one of them. Yeah. So the 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 Arab states, the Doha Accord, okay, the commander in chief of the army. Mm. So. The presidency came to him, and at the end of his presidency, he was not bad. Yeah. He, he yeah. finished with the Ba'abda uh, Accord yes. and yeah. with proposals to adjust the Constitution, not to amend the Constitution, right. because he was the first president to serve his term without the Syrian That's occupation. True. And without an but, extension. But yeah. Emil Lahoud and Michel Aoun, they ran to the presidency, and mm. they were bad. Mm. Okay? So there is a difference. Now... Me, I am drastically against any military to the presidency. Now and in the future. An officer is prepared for defense, is prepared for security, is prepared to take care of his soldiers, not to put an eye in politics and to, for, to, 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 to behave very badly within the institution mm. because of his ambitions. It is bad. This is third world. We are not people who have been raised in a third world uh, mentality. So I am against that. And I agree with these young people that they don't want a military. But they have to know something about me. I am retired since 10 years. I'm an academician. Yes. I have a PhD. I'm a university teacher. I have a position in the university. I'm a head of department in University of St. Joseph. I believe deeply in democracy. I believe deeply in freedom. And no one like a real warrior appreciates peace. Believe me, the real warriors, they appreciate, they, they are the best people who appreciate peace. Mm. People who never made war, they run to war. They imagine that war is something. So, so, uh, so this is my positioning regarding the militaries. Yes. So they may accept it, they may, they may not accept. Now, I'm running against uh, people who you mentioned. Yeah. Regarding the free patriotic current, if people are satisfied with the current situation, I advise them to elect <laughs> Alaon, whom I know very well. He was actually sitting so, where you're sitting yesterday. So he is one of the responsibles of uh, who yeah. uh, who uh, of the deterioration of the situation, and he can't uh, run away with it and saying Mahaluna uh, or they did not let us. This is not an excuse. Now, regarding uh, Mr. Michel Hello. Michel Hello, I met with him. And there's no relationship. It's just by chance it's the same name. Yes, yes, it's not it's, yeah, uh, yeah. the same family. Right, right. Uh, I, mean, distant, I will not distant, spend the yeah, sure, sure. time to tell you the roots of, of my course. family. and the Because I think he's from Baabda as well. Yeah, they are They're from, from yeah, they yeah. are from Baabda, yeah. but originally they were in Beirut and okay. they were in Ghusta. Right. And originally all of us are from Syria okay. in the 14th century, in <laughs> 1370. Right. Okay. You don't so, look the same anyway, so it doesn't No, matter. we are coming from there <laughs> yeah. seven centuries ago. Fair enough. Okay. But, uh, but, but, uh, but uh, uh, I respect his ambitions. I respect uh, his, uh, uh, his ethical uh, behavior. I respect mm. everything. But 
What I don't understand is the following. Is, uh, uh, he is coming from a, 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 not an ideology, but a culture of liberty and uh, uh, economical uh, freedoms and uh, you know free 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 economy yes. etc. And his uh, mates who are running with him in the list, at least two of them are leftists. Do they describe themselves this way as no. leftists? I don't no, think no, they no, are. Not they him. Are. Not Michel. No, no. You t- I know. I they think don't. I know. They, they don't. They conceal this. Mm. But their positioning after yeah. forming of my list, mm. our list, and their list. Yeah. They don't believe in free economy for Lebanon for this the, time, the, the current period because this favorizes the cartels and so on, so on, saying things that uh, do I not see. fit Lebanon because we need investors, we need right. to create a climate of confidence. We need so so economics. This was, the, was, was yes. The, this this yeah. is what I don't understand. What he is doing there, and mm-hmm. then why didn't we succeed in having a unique list where yeah. I was welcoming him in the list, even mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. we have the same name, and this is you know in the Lebanese mentality. They will say, "Oh, uh, uh, him and his cousin." So I, I was, uh, yeah. I, I was really welcoming this uh, mm. this uh, initiative. This analysis of what happened to October 17 during the list process is so deep and it's so new, it's so fresh. But for me, as somebody who now knows both candidates, and I'd like to consider you a friend, as I do, Michel. Um, I think it's a shame that two names that I both respect could not join hand in hand in the same cause. But that's just the way politics plays out in any country. But I do have deep admiration for anybody who's trying to do the right thing. And I sense that both of you in different ways are on that journey together, maybe competing now, but I think there's common cause in the room. I want to gauge your mind on what Ba'abda voters are interested in. And I've asked this question to different candidates running in different districts. Now, I'll give you an example. I've had two Beirut Teni candidates who talked about Beirut too in very different ways than a Shouf district candidate who's running in the Shouf in very different ways than Metin. And it's interesting because Metin, Shouf, and Beirut, there is a common story, but then there's also local concerns. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering about Babda. What do you hear the most from voters? Do you hear conversations about Hezbollah? Or do you hear mostly economic pain? Is it that they want certain parties to disappear? I mean, when you're on the ground and campaigning, what are the pressing concerns? Yes, I hear both. I hear Mm. about uh, a big concern about Hezbollah Mm. because this is a district or a department where you have contact, direct contact with Hezbollah. Yes, because it goes extends into the. It is. You have the. Uh, southern suburbs of Beirut are yes. in Bamda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and so on. Mm-hmm. This is Bamda. People uh, and this district mm. or this circumscription. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is a mini Lebanon. Mm. You have Maronites, Orthodox, Shia, Sunnis. They don't have an MP, but they are twelve thousand voters. Right. So yeah. they are at least. The double, yani, living living in this in this circumscription. Right. So you have all the components of Lebanon, and then you have also the civil society. This is the only district in Lebanon where you have, you have everybody. That's interesting. Everybody in Kisarwan you don't have this. Hmm. In Nabatia you don't have this. Hmm. In the Bekaa Valley you don't have this. You have right. it in Baabda. Baabda is a mini Lebanon. This is what it is interesting. Yeah. Second, Baabda is the presidential palace, the Ministry right. of Defense. Yes. The army barracks, the, the largest army barracks and army ammunition uh, uh, depot are in Baabda. And the several ministries uh, are in Baabda. L'Ashgal al-Ammi, work al-Amal, Wazarat al-Amal. So it is, it is really, a, a, let's say, a, a network, not a network, uh, it's a net of, of everything. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is a mini Lebanon. Mm. And there is another concern that you did not mention. Mm. It is the environment. Because in Baabda, you have... Baabda has two rivers, two major rivers. Among and, the most polluted rivers and today. Polluted, and we have to preserve this diversity in the environment. And we have the chance to do it. Because mm. in the Lamabtutla, uh, 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 above 
عرية حمانة اتسترا it's a wonderful place we have to yeah. preserve it yeah. we don't have to, we don't want to see it invaded by buildings and so on yeah. so we have a lot of work to do and also uh, uh, socially speaking uh, people are concerned about their money this is not for Baabda concerned about Hezbollah this is not Baabda so we have we have to approach these these problems but also we have to approach the urban problem in Baabda it is crowded I'm not talking about Babda village, but it is extremely crowded. Yeah. Yani when you see a village like Ghubayri in the southern suburbs, where you have 22,000 voters, right. 22,000 voters, if you multiply them by two, this is extremely crowded. So we have urban an urban planning to do. Mm. It's, it, it's not enough to go up with buildings because you need large roads also. You need networks of water, of electricity, of sewage. So also, these are the places voters, voters talk about this when in your conversations. Not all of them, oh, yeah. uh, a small part of them. Okay, voters. but it's interesting. You uh, you're articulating urban decay and urban sprawl, but I'm wondering what is the most pressing concern from a voter that you hear. For a voter, not all of them are concerned about this, but oh. this is it, it makes impact in engineers and yes, uh, yeah. uh, uh, municipalities. Mm, mm. Municipalities have big problems. They, they don't have, they, they cannot solve their problems on their own. Right. Uh, you see, so we have to keep in contact with the municipalities. We have 40 municipalities in the district. So if mm. you want to know the, the real problems of people, you have to go and visit the presidents of council of, uh, of the municipalities and spend time with them in order to understand because uh, Poor people come to municipality in order to have aid. Mm, yes. People who are sick who cannot go to hospital, they go to municipality. Mm, mm. People who want to build a building to, to have a building, they go to municipality. People who have a problem with water, they go to everything mm. goes to municipality. So if if as an MP, if you are elected mm. and you spend one day a week in a municipality or two, okay, you visit the mayor and you keep you you you, you build relationships, confidence relationships with them, mm. you can take the problems inside the parliament and tell the parliament these are the people's problem. So in Baabda we have a huge work to do, yeah. a huge, very huge. I think okay. it's one of those complicated terrains anyway, more complicated today because conversations expand beyond Baabda naturally. Um, but I, I appreciate that you're able to address many things at once, from urban planning to sovereign issues to institutional problems and so I, I, I hope I know the next 10 11 days are very challenging but uh, I appreciate anyone who's still trying at this very delicate stage to do everything at once and I sense that you are doing that um, I'll wrap it up and I know we're, we're not much time left and if just whatever's left you mentioned something right before we started recording I didn't know that uh, you met my father at a at a meeting or let's say at a the topic of neutrality was being discussed and you suggested it could have been the Bristol or the Phoenicia, but I can imagine it's where a lot of people from different areas are gathering to talk about something very difficult, which is foreign policy. And uh, if you can just maybe bring that meeting back to life, what you remember, how it was being discussed, and if there's anything that maybe you took from those kinds of meetings eight, nine years ago that still resonate with you today. Well, well, that meeting, what I remember of that meeting, the most important thing is that it was my first contact with people who were talking about neutrality and knowing what they were talking about. <laughs> because neutrality is a term that is used, that was used, and I heard by so many people, yeah. without, uh, without understanding that you have several forms of neutrality the Swiss model, the Austrian model, and the Swedish model at that time. But there is also the Finnish model, uh, Finland, Finland, Finland. They didn't mention it. So this, is, this was really, uh, this is here, mm. because three different models, and uh, no, none of them fits Lebanon. Right. And then your father, uh, he, he, he didn't talk much at that time. He, he, he was very brief when, when they asked him, to, asked him to talk. He said, we have, first of all, to be convinced of neutrality because we are fighting each other because of non-Lebanese issues. Mm. So we have to, get, to be aware 
that uh, uh, made the majority of our problems are imported, one. Second, we have to campaign with the countries around something like this, the countries in the Middle East, to convince them that the neutrality of Lebanon is in their interest. Mm. This way, Lebanon will not be used as a, a, a point of depart, departure point to strike them yes. uh, militarily or uh, by terrorism or something, e either Iran or Saudi Arabia or, or yeah. any other country. This is what I remember of your father. It was very short, very brief, mm. very clear. So this is why I was, I was, I was really impressed by uh, his culture and because I don't remember exactly how he spoke and what he said because it was very long time ago. But I was really impressed by him and I asked about him. Hmm. And I asked a friend of mine who was in the U.S., in the Lebanese embassy in, uh, ah, in, yes. in Washington. Yeah. And he, he, he told me there is... There is a huge difference between him and the guy who came after oh. him. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I appreciate learning recently how many people interacted with him in different ways. And it's quite, uh, it's, it's important for me to hear these things without any reference. The words you're using to describe what he said, there's the, it's the language that I use without knowing that he was using the same language. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate knowing that, well, I appreciate learning more about him in different ways. And this is very important for me. I'll, I'll say something else. I really have deep admiration for somebody who lived in Lebanon and saw it collapse, who served in a militia and then went to the army, who's pursuing local politics, knowing how difficult it is right now to do that. And I hope the audience that's listening and watching uh, casts their vote in a way that makes sense to them, but it's good to have people like you running for parliament. I have deep admiration for you and what you're doing. That's thank you my very much. long way of saying thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.